invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter in chapter 3. I want to title the message this morning, Don't Waste Your Suffering. Don't waste your suffering. 1 Peter chapter 3, start in verse 13. Read through verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has suffered, hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this time of gathering together to worship you this morning. We are thankful for the ability that you have given us to know you, the ability, the ability you have given us to worship you in song and through prayer. And we thank you most of all for your holy word which you have given to us that we may be able to know you and we may be able to know your will for our life. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you through your word. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us, that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would penetrate into our very hearts, to our very minds, our very soul. And Father, that it would help us to worship you that it would help us to bow down before you, that it would help us to exalt our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would do that now through your word. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to come back and spend one more time looking at this verse 15. This is such an important verse in 1 Peter, and I think it's a key verse um, in, in this letter this epistle that we've been studying together. <clears throat> Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a, a part of the Christian life. Suffering is a very important part, actually, of the Christian life. Because it is our suffering for Christ that God uses to sanctify us. It is suffering that God uses uses in our life to draw us closer to him. And Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are undergoing suffering and persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have come to believe in Christ. They have come to submit to Christ as Lord in their life, and they are following him and his word, and therefore they are suffering because of it. Well, what about you? You have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have made a profession of faith in him, if you have been born of the Holy Spirit, if you have submitted to Christ in baptism, 
You have said that you believe in him. You have followed him. You are following him in your life. You are serving him in uh, this local assembly. You are living your life out there in the world. Is suffering a part of your life? And all of us, to some extent, should be able to say yes. We do suffer for Christ. Not all of us suffer in the same way that the Christians were suffering here in 1 Peter. Not all of us are suffering like saints of God are suffering around the world in North Korea and in China and in Africa and India and other parts of the world. We're not all suffering in that same way. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have placed your faith and hope and trust in him and you're trying to live a Christian life in this ungodly world, you are suffering each and every day as a part of that faith. And I think the encouragement for us here that, that Peter has in this letter, and specifically I think here in this verse, is that we shouldn't waste our suffering for Christ. We shouldn't waste our suffering. Suffering is a part of God's plan for our life. And we're, not, we're talking not just about human physical suffering, but we're talking about suffering for being a Christian, because that's what's in context here. But I think this applies to human suffering that you're going to experience experience in your life. And so, as we look at this verse uh, again this morning, I want to encourage you that whatever suffering you, you are going through or that you will go through, and that we also need to be prepared for a greater suffering that may be coming in the future, I want to encourage you to not waste your suffering. Because, brothers and sisters, as we think about the days, of he- the days ahead in this country in which we live in, we, we should be able to see and acknowledge that suffering as a Christian is going to increase. We've seen, we've seen it happen in various parts of our country, and we're seeing it happen on different levels. But I think if things don't change and we don't turn from the course that we're on, suffering as a Christian is going to get more intense here in this country. And so we need to prepare ourselves, we need to prepare our children, and we need to prepare the future generations to be prepared for suffering as a Christian to increase. And for us to be ready to embrace that and be willing to suffer for Christ, knowing that God uses it in our life to draw us closer to him, to strengthen our faith and trust in him, and our hope in him and his return to grow. So what do we see in our text today in verse 15? I think we see this. You will not waste your suffering by fearing God rather than fearing men. And by showing everyone that your hope is firmly settled in God through his son, Jesus Christ. So you will not waste your suffering by fearing God rather than fearing men. And by showing everyone that your hope is firmly settled in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that if we look at this verse, we can clearly see four ways to not waste suffering in your life as a Christian. Number one, use your suffering to draw you closer to God. Peter is trying to encouraging to encourage these brothers and sisters who are suffering. First of all, he starts out by reminding them that their identity is not in who they are in the world, 
Their identity is who they are in Christ, right? He begins by reminding them that you are elect strangers who have been scattered abroad, but you've been born again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you are united with Christ, your identity is in him, so therefore you have a living hope that goes beyond this world. So if you suffer in this world, it is painful. If you suffer in this world, it is hard. It is difficult. All that is true. But this world is not all that there is. Your identity is in a risen Christ and your hope is in a glorious future. That's how he starts out. He says you should be encouraged that what God is doing through your suffering, the, the first thing that he's doing is he is drawing you closer to himself. So don't waste that. If God has called you to suffer, if you're suffering in your life in some way, use, use it. God is using it to draw you closer to him. And I think that's what he says here in verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. God is working on you and he's working on your heart. And so he says, a command for you and for me is to sanctify God in your heart. What does this mean? First of all, why does he say, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts? That's important as we think about this. Because what is he contrasting it with? And you go back up to verse 14 and he says, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So what's the temptation when you have to suffer for Christ? What's the temptation? To be afraid of the suffering. To be terrified of the suffering. To dwell or, or, or let that fear grip you on the suffering. Or maybe the idea of suffering or future suffering coming. Maybe that grips you with fear. Peter says, don't be afraid of their terror and what they can do. Don't be troubled by that. To the extent that you lose sight of what God is doing. He says, but rather, but instead of sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And in other words, I think what he's saying is don't fear men and what they can do to you. Don't fear the suffering, but rather fear God. Rather reverence God. Rather stand in awe of God and his holiness. In what he is doing and how he is refining you and perfecting you. Stand in awe of God and be amazed. Be still and know that he is God. One of the things that I don't do well when I'm suffering in some way is I don't take time to be still and think about what God is trying to teach me. What God is trying to show me. What, what God is trying to work on me on, right? What is he trying to, to work in me? Or what, what flaw do I have that he's trying to, 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 to uh, remove from my life? And I think that's what he's saying. Set apart, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This word sanctify means to make holy. It means to purify. It means to set apart or hallow. To hallow. We need to set Aside, we need to set apart the Lord God in our hearts. Now, I haven't often thought about this in context to suffering. But a lot of times what we allow suffering to do is we allow suffering to take the most important part and most important place in our life. 
where we are consumed and dwelling on the suffering itself instead of God himself, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, being the most important thing in our life in and through the suffering. He says, don't dwell on the suffering. Don't dwell on the terror, the fear that comes from that suffering. But instead, set apart the Lord God as holy in your hearts. Remember that it is time with him. It is consecrated time with him. Setting him apart in your hearts. This is what is important. important. And it's in the present tense. And it's also an imperative. He's, he's telling you. To do this and to do it always, you should always be making the Lord God holy in your hearts, setting him apart in your heart. And this is important that what he's saying is, is that we should what Jesus and Jesus telling the disciples how to pray. What is the first thing that he tells them? Our father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name. What was most important to Jesus Christ? The glory of his Father. The name of his Father in heaven. He says this should be the most important thing in your prayers. In, in, in your prayer life and then certainly when you're praying through suffering. Lord, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be holy. Let it be sanctified in my life, in my, in my heart, and in my mind. So this should be the most important thing to us. We, we, suffering is, the point of suffering is to remind us that God is God. That Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is in control. And that we are to submit to him. And that we have an opportunity to be drawn closer to him. And so that's why he had encouraged them. You remember in chapter 1, he says... Because you're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? That the trial of your faith. This is what's important. This is what sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts is. It's having faith. It's having trust in him it's being united with him that the trial of your faith being much more precious of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ remember brothers and sisters that your suffering it is there's something much bigger that God is doing through this. And number one, he's drawing you closer to himself. We need to acknowledge that. And say, Lord, help me in suffering for you. Help me not to waste this suffering by setting you apart in my heart. This is not just a matter of the mind. This is not just a matter of, of what you think. This is not just a matter of, of studying the scriptures. It's not just a matter of reading the scriptures, but it's internalizing it into your heart, to your soul, to your, the very core of your being. He says, set apart the Lord as God in your hearts. If God is not first set apart in our hearts, he won't be set apart in our minds. He won't be set apart in our lives. And so he says, you must first 
sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is first a heart matter. So I ask you, how are you doing with that in your suffering? Be prepared for the suffering that comes. That the first thing that you'll do is set apart the Lord God in your hearts. That you will think about this as the instruments and as the tables and as everything that was used in the temple and in the tabernacle. As it was set apart for a special use only to be used in that service and in that worship. Think about it in your life that your heart is set apart for the glory of God, to serve him, to worship him in the same way and even in and through suffering. So don't waste your suffering by first use your suffering to draw you closer to God. Remember Jesus Christ said that if you serve him, if you follow him, he says you will suffer persecution. He says, if you're my disciples, he says, they will hate you. If you do what is right, they will hate you for it. Why? Because first they hated me. How did they treat the Lord Jesus Christ? They treated him with contempt. They treated him with anger. They treated him with hostility. It's going to be the same way for us. The way that they treated the Lord Jesus Christ, they treat his followers but you need to set apart yourself. Just as those instruments, as those tables were set apart for that special purpose, you need to set apart your heart for the worship of God, even in your suffering. Second of all, I think we see in here that you won't waste your suffering by using your suffering to point others to God. So I think primary importance for us to remember in our suffering is that God is trying to draw us closer to him, and make us more like Jesus Christ. But I think second of all, something that I oftentimes miss, is that God is using us in our suffering to point others to himself. For us to be pictures, to, to be an image of the Lord Jesus Christ that others can see and therefore glorify God. So he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and what? What does this lead to? And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So what's the, what's the natural conclusion from what he's saying? Is that when you're suffering and you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts like this, that there's going to be people that see that and ask you, why are you like that? Why are you responding that way? Why do you believe what you believe? Why can you still sing in a prison cell? Why do you still preach the name of Jesus Christ after being beaten and told not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, as we see in the book of Acts? Why do you respond that way? Why do you act that way? You see, when we do this in suffering, when we use our suffering to be drawn closer to God, then we're going to He's going to use us to point others to God because they are going to see a difference in us and ask, ask us a reason why we have this hope that we have. He says that you need to be ready 
always. Oh, brothers and sisters, how often we miss this, that we have an opportunity when suffering comes. We need to be ready to use it to point others to God. Get it off of ourselves. This is not about us and what we're going through, even though we are going through it and it is painful and we need encouragement. But ultimately, what he's saying is that you need to be ready to point others to God. Point others to the hope that you have so that they too can have this same hope in God. Be ready. This means to be prepared. It means readiness. It means fitness. And the idea or the image that is spoken of here is like an athlete who trains. An athlete who trains. So if an athlete is going to run a race or if an athlete is going to play a sport, you just can't go out there and do it. I mean, you can, but, but you're not going to do it well. Right? You're going to fail. You're going to fall. If you go out and try to run 12 miles today and you haven't done any kind of training, first of all, you're not going to make it 12 miles. If you did, it would be very, very slow pace. And last of all, you, you would be no good for the rest of the week, right? But you have to train. You have to start out at, you have to do strength training. You have to start out with that. You have to start out with walking. You have to start out with then jogging. And then you've got to run a mile and two miles and then three miles. So that then you can be ready to run a half marathon or a marathon or whatever it is you're trying to do. You have to train. You have to be fit. You could also be thinking of it as a lawyer who goes to law school, who's got to read and read and read and read and study case after case after case, has to study the law and has to know the law so that he is prepared when it comes his time to give a defense, to be able to defend someone or to be able to, to prosecute someone. He has an answer. Right? He doesn't just wake up one day and go into court and is ready to give a defense. He must be ready. He must be prepared to give an answer. So how do you do this? How are you doing this? How are you preparing for suffering in your life or the suffering to come? How are you being prepared to give an answer? You do it daily by walking with the Lord. You do it daily by communing with the Lord. Spending time in prayer, spending time in his word. You do it by coming to church and being fed God's word. You do it by fellowship of the saints. You do it by listening to sermons. You do it by feeding your heart with good music. These are all ways that you are preparing yourself, you're preparing your heart to be ready to give an answer. You study God's word. You know what God's word says. And so you are like an athlete or you are like a lawyer who's ready when the time comes to be able to give a defense. And what does it say? We should be ready how? When? Always. Always. Don't be caught off guard. Don't get lazy. We all are tempted to get lazy, spiritually lazy, and think, oh, well, I won't suffer. This won't happen to me or it won't happen to my family. It won't happen to this church. We need to wake up. God is preparing us. God is warning us. Suffering is coming. We need to be ready always, in and at every time. Think about what Jesus told the disciples and how this would come true in their life. 
in Mark in chapter 13. We need to pay heed to this as well, brothers and sisters. Mark in chapter 13. Verse 9, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now, the brother shall betray brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You need to be prepared. He says, you need to take heed to yourselves. This is what's coming. And they followed his advice. They followed his advice. They listened to him. They were prepared for what he said exactly what was going to happen, happened. And God blessed them to give a defense, to give an answer. It says, be ready always to give an answer to every Man that asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. This word, an answer. So what are we to always be ready to give? It says an answer. This word is apologia. The word where we get apologetics from. It means a plea, a defense. We need to be able to defend our faith and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times, God is going to use suffering to give you that opportunity to do that. Why do you respond that way? Why do you believe that way? Be ready to give a defense. Plead with them the truth of the scriptures. Plead with them the, the, um, the, the evidence of this truth in your life. Throughout your life, how God has, has always been faithful to you. How God has always blessed you, even in the moments of suffering. Be able to give a defense. And it's specifically speaking of a verbal defense. Now you can give a defense by the way that you live your life. Your life is a testimony to others. Yes. But he says you need to be ready to speak. This, this talks about them being dragged into court. Dragged before the magistrates. Which some of them were... That was being done to them at this time. And he says, you need to be ready to speak the truth, to defend the faith, to give a clear reason to others of why you have this hope. What about you? Are you speaking? Are you giving a reason? Are you, are you giving a plea to others of why that you believe the way that you do? Don't waste your suffering and use this as an opportunity to give a defense of your faith. There are so many wonderful examples of this throughout the scriptures, uh, especially in the book of Acts, where we see that as the apostles were preaching, we'd go into a synagogue or they would go into a city and they would be preaching just as Jesus did. 
says that, that, that there would be those that would take them captive and that would take them into prison. And as we said before, they would tell them, don't continue to preach about Jesus. And they would beat them and they would throw them into prison and they would put them in chains. But they used that as an opportunity to praise and worship God. It says that one time at midnight they were singing songs and praising God. And that the jailers and everyone else heard them. And God performed a miracle there. And they used that moment as an opportunity to witness to one of the jailers about the goodness and mercy and the salvation of God. And we need to be prepared, as he said. We need to be ready. We need to train like an athlete so that when the time comes and God gives us those opportunities, we are willing to give a reason, a defense. And it needs to be a defense of truth. It doesn't need to be, well, I just hope that this is the case, or I just think that this is the case, or I just you know, feel like this is a good thing. You need to be able to give a clear and precise defense of the truth and of the hope that you have. And that only comes through studying this word, the Spirit speaking through you, through the messages that you hear, and applying them to your life. So don't waste your suffering by using it, using your suffering to point others to God by always being ready to give a reason, a word, an account of the hope that was, that's within you with meekness and fear. This is important because you are going to be given opportunities. You have been given opportunities. And maybe you have given a defense of your faith. But maybe you have done it in a proud way. Maybe you have done it in an arrogant way. Maybe you haven't been humble when you did it. And then maybe that turned others away. That's wasting our opportunity. That's wasting our suffering. He says, when you do this, he says, do it with humility. We can get proud in, in our knowledge. We can get proud of knowing the truth. We, we could even get proud that, that we feel like we have all the, the answers and that we've done everything the right way. We should never come across as that way. We should come across as humble, as meek, as gentle as Jesus Christ did. So he says, when you do this, make sure you do it with humility and with reverence, with respect. Remember, you're talking to another human being. You're talking to another soul. And maybe you're talking to a soul that Jesus Christ is working on. Maybe you're talking to one that he is preparing. Maybe he is breaking up the, the fallow ground of their hard heart and he is going to use your seed, the seed of his word. He's going to use you to plant that seed. We need to be willing to submit to God in this with humility, with reverence, reverence for God and his truth and his word to make sure we give a proper defense, but also a reverence for those that we're speaking to as eternal souls. So number one, don't waste your suffering by using it to draw you closer to God. Number two, using your suffering to point others to God. Number three, use your suffering to build up your hope in God. One of the things that God is doing in your suffering is he's removing the hope that you have in yourself and the hope that you have in this world. There's a better world that we're made for. There's an eternal world. There's a, there's a heavens 
not made with hands. There's a building not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. And this is what you and I are destined for if we are in Christ. This is our eternal home. And what we need to remind ourselves in suffering is that this is the world that we are going to. Suffering reminds us that this world is not our home. That we are born again to a lively hope, as he said in chapter 1. And what is this lively hope? It's not the American dream. It's not that we'll live a life without suffering. It's not that we'll have everything in our bank account that we want to have. It's not that everyone will love us and no one will hate us. What is this lively hope that we have? He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First of all, this hope, is it a, it's a confident, joyful expectation of eternal salvation. That's what this hope is. He says it is a lively hope made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you can have hope of eternal life. To what? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's your hope, brothers and sisters. It's in another world. It's in a place without sin, without death, without sorrow. It's in a place without suffering. This is your hope. And what suffering reminds you is that you are destined for a world without suffering. Hallelujah. And that your suffering is only temporary. It is only for a season. But it is not without a purpose. It is not without a reason. It's to draw you closer to God. It's so that you may point others to God. And it's so that while you live your life in faith and obedience, waiting for the return of Christ, or waiting till he calls you home, you will do it in hope, in a confident, joyful expectation of what is to come. Be, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. Here he is, he is merging together these major themes that he's been speaking about to them. Suffering as a Christian and the hope that you have in God. Suffering builds up our hope in God in what he's doing and what he has prepared us for. It is a present hope. He has given it to you now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, by the gift of faith, so that now you believe, just as surely as you're alive, you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you believe what that has secured for you. It is a present hope. As he says, it is a living hope. It is a lively hope. It's not a dead hope. We have a living hope that is alive and that's full of, of power. It is a great hope. Because what greater hope is there in the hope that one day you will be delivered from your sin? That you will be delivered. We sang about it in song after song this morning. Our songs were about heaven, were about seeing Christ, about wanting to see Him, about wanting to be with Him, and that one day it will be worth it all when we see Christ. This is the hope that you have. 
And this is the hope that suffering actually builds up within you. It's a reminder this world is not your home. These things are but temporary. You have an eternal home. It is a great hope. It is an eternal hope. This hope will never be taken away from you. No amount of suffering, no amount of imprisonment, no amount of torture will ever be able to remove this eternal hope that you have in Christ. One writer said, it is a fearless hope in the fact that we're not fearing what man can do unto us. But as Jesus said, don't fear what man can do. All man can do is kill the body. But he said instead, fear God, which is able to cast both the body and the soul into hell. But this is a hope that doesn't fear man. It doesn't have ungodly fear. It is a, it is a hope that fears in God and has reverence for him. He says it is a zealous hope. A zealous hope. A hope that you want to share with other people. I hope that you want to point others to because you have been given it. It is a thankful hope because he has given it to you and not others. He has not given it to everyone. Everyone does not have this hope. But maybe he will use you to point others to this hope. So are you allowing the suffering that you are going through to build up your hope, your trust, and your confidence in a sovereign God. Remember, he said, set apart the Lord God. This speaks of God's sovereignty. It's, it speaks of his lordship. You are submitting to his lordship, even in your suffering, saying you are in control. You are working. You are doing something. And I'm submitting to that. And you're building up my hope in you. And so ultimately, and lastly, the fourth way that we don't waste our suffering is by using our suffering to make us more like Jesus Christ himself. That's the ultimate goal of it. To draw us closer to God, help us point others to God, building up our hope in God, but ultimately it's to make us more like Jesus Christ. We want to be like him. And if we want to be like him, not only should we Strive to be holy as he is holy. Not only should we strive to be righteous as he was righteous. Not only should we strive to be just as he was just. But we also must be willing to suffer as he suffered. And that this suffering is going to make us more like him. In Romans in chapter 8. We have this beautiful passage that tells us that this is what God is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what God is doing through the sufferings that we are experiencing in our life. It all leads to the, the ultimate purpose of him shaping us and molding us more into the image, the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. He says in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's the hope. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
Hallelujah. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails and pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things, he says, you mean even my suffering? Even my suffering for Christ? Yes. He is working all things, all things together for your good. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And just as he suffered for the glory of his Father, you and I also must be willing to suffer for the glory of the Father, for the glory of Christ. That's what it means to be conformed to his image. He's refining you through your suffering, conforming you into this perfect image. This is a part of the eternal purpose and plan of God. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them also he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. This is our great hope. That through all these things, this is what God is doing in us. He has saved you. He has called you. He is working in you. And he, one day, brothers and sisters, you're going to have a glorified body that's perfect and that's whole and that has no sin and that has no faults and failings. And you're going to be able to use that perfect body to be able to worship him for all eternity. That is a great hope. And that is the hope that's supposed to be being built up in us and that we're to be pointing others to. That's drawing us closer to God so that we won't waste the suffering that God has allowed in our life. So I encourage you. First of all, I want to encourage those maybe who have yet to profess Christ and follow him. Maybe he's using some kind of suffering in your life to draw you to himself. Don't waste that. If he's doing that, follow him. Believe in him, trust in him, submit to him. Confess him before men and submit to him in baptism. Unite with this body of believers and start to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. And for those of you that have professed Christ and are following him, I just want you to be prepared for the days that are coming. May we all be prepared. That we might be ready to give a defense. And that we might be ready to point others to Christ. And that we might always remember that he has purchased for us an eternal weight of glory.
And we just need to continue to trust in him and in his finished work. May God bless you and keep you and use you for his glory is my prayer.